Letter 63 of the History of Lady Barton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devorah Allen. The History of Lady Barton by Elizabeth Griffith. Letter 63. Miss Cleveland to Lady Barton. I shall proceed in my task of copying like a clerk in an office, without attending to anything but the draft before me. And indeed, my Louisa, I find it sufficiently interesting to engross all my attention. If it can exclude those pleasing sentiments which my present happiness ought and does inspire, may I not reasonably hope that it will be able to suspend, at least during the time of reading it, that heavy weight which seems to press upon my sister's heart? Yes, I am persuaded that it may and under this belief I reassume the pen. The story of Maria continued. In less than a month I was able to walk with a little help, and most earnestly wished to quit Mr. W.'s house, as I had reason to hope from the justification of my character, which Matilda assured me she had undertaken, that there would be an end of all connection between us the moment I should receive a letter from Captain L., and that an interview on such an occasion must be painful to us both. I therefore pressed my mother to try to borrow the money she wanted at Bristol, and return to Bath. She complied with my request, and judged it necessary to take up a larger sum on her annuity than she at first intended, as either my marriage with Mr. W. or my waiting Captain L.'s return to England must be attended with expense. In short, on such terms as the poor borrow and the rich lend, she obtained two hundred pounds, which I then thought an immense sum but did not consider that we owed more than half of it already, including my debt to Mr. W. I am thus circumstantial with you, my dear Edward, that you may be perfectly able to judge of the motives which impelled me to my ruin. Oh, would to heaven that I alone had been to suffer the so much dreaded ills of poverty! I would have braved them all, but a beloved and tender parent, whose fondness towards me had involved her in distress, it was not to be borne. My mother wrote a very polite letter to Mr. W., thanking him for all his civilities, and acquainting him with our return to Bath, where he joined us in a few days. He brought some very handsome jewels, and other presents from London for me, which I absolutely refused, and even felt my delicacy offended at his offering them, as it seemed to hint at a certainty of my becoming his wife. As the time approached when we might expect an answer from Captain L., I counted the hours, and rejoiced in their flight. The anxiety of suspense was visible in my looks and words. I started at every sound, and minutely inquired the business of every person who rapped at the door. At length the fatal moment arrived that was to change a state of fond hope into the utmost despair. Matilda came to our house one morning, and requested to see my mother alone. The gloom which sat on her brow announced the tidings which she brought, and though scarce able to utter a syllable, I cried out, "'I will not leave the room!' I know the worst already. He is dead. She answered coldly, No, and reached a letter to me. The contents whereof were as follows. To Matilda. Dear Madam, Honoured as I am by the favour of your letter, and happy in hearing of your health, will you not think me ungrateful if I repine at your wasting so much of your time and paper in relating particulars of a person who now only lives in my memory from the bare recollection of having sometimes seen her with you, 
but as all preferences are flattering, I should be unpolite not to thank Miss S. for an offer which I must, however, decline. I heartily wish her happiness with Sir James D., Mr. W., or whomsoever else she shall think proper to honour with her fair hand, excepting, madam, your most obedient servant, T. L. My faculties were all suspended for several minutes after reading this insulting letter. No sigh to rise, no tear had power to flow. I felt like one that had been stunned by a severe stroke. At length recovering myself, I flung the hated paper from me, and taking my mother's hand, said with an effort of calmness, "'How poor, madam, is the sacrifice that I can now make to duty! A rejected hand and heart. But dispose of them as you please, and do it quickly while my reason holds.' My mother was more alarmed at my behavior than she would have been had I fallen into a passion, either of grief or rage. She wept abundantly for my distress, and expressed every sentiment of parental fondness. Her kindness would have transformed me to a Niobe at any other time, but the sorrow that had then taken possession of my heart was of too powerful a nature to be softened by her tears, or dissipated by my own. T'was grief unutterable." My mother kindly indulged me for several days by allowing me to keep my chamber, on pretense of a sore throat. This prevented my seeing Mr. W., and gave me time to reflect upon my own situation. I considered myself as an offering that was to be sacrificed, and determined to support the role that fate had allotted me with becoming fortitude. Mr. W. expressed the utmost impatience for our marriage, and in about six weeks after the receipt of Captain L.'s letter, I was led to the altar, and became the wretched wife of Mr. W. In vain did I endeavor to assume an air of cheerfulness with a breaking heart. Unused to deceit or artifice, the veil which I put on could not conceal the gloomy tints which sorrow had engraven upon my mind. I was hourly reproached by my husband with ill-temper and ingratitude, and my mother was accused of having drawn him into a match so much against his interest, and so little conducive to his happiness. For her dear sake I exerted my utmost powers to please, but they seldom met with success, and I, with unspeakable grief, now saw that she was rendered infinitely more wretched by my marriage than she could have been in any other situation. Mr. W.'s estate was in Devonshire. He had an old family seat there, where I most earnestly wished to spend my days in solitude and peace, but as he often told me that he did not think we should make a pleasant tete-a-tete together there, he disposed of his house at Bristol and hired one at Bath, from which he frequently made excursions to London or elsewhere for a month or six weeks at a time. During his absence I seldom stirred abroad, unless to church, to pay some visit of ceremony or to pass an hour, or perhaps an evening, with Matilda. From the moment I was married, I had never mentioned the name of Captain L. to my mother, Matilda, or any other person. This was a sacrifice I thought due to my husband. I would have done more had it been in my power, and banished him forever from my thoughts. One evening, while Mr. W. was away, I was prevailed upon by Matilda and my mother to go to the rooms on a ball night. I found my spirit strongly affected with a scene that reminded me of happier days, and became so much absorbed in my own reflections that I scarce heard the sound of the music, or observed the motion of the dancers, though Matilda was among them. I was sitting on one of the benches, opposite the door of the room, and had continued a considerable time in my reverie, when my eyes were accidentally caught by the figure of a person 
who was speaking to a lady that sat just before me. My mind hesitated, but my heart admitted not a doubt that it was Captain L. Had I ever screamed out in my life, I should have done so then. So unexpected a view had the same effect on me that is generally produced by thunder and lightning. It dimmed my sight, and gave me such a sickness in my stomach that I could not long support. A sudden chillness succeeded this emotion, and my head reclined insensibly on the shoulder of the lady who sat next to me. What passed while I remained in that state I know not, but when my senses returned I found myself at home, my mother weeping by me, and Mr. W. storming about the room like a madman, not at my illness, but at the cause he imputed it to, for he declared before the surgeon who had just then bled me that he had detected me in an intrigue, and that on his sudden and unexpected appearance in the rooms, at the moment I was conferring with my gallant, the various passions of love, hatred, and fear had overpowered my spirits and occasioned my fainting. What an infatuated distemper is jealousy! It realizes chimeras and draws conclusions without premises. I was holding no conference with Captain L. He was only speaking to a person who sat before me, nor did I see my husband till I opened my eyes in my own chamber. However, I suffered him to pour forth his whole stock of causeless abuse without the least interruption, till at length, not meeting with resistance, his rage was exhausted, and the surgeon and he retired together. I was put into bed, and determined as soon as I was left alone to tear the bandage off my arm and suffer myself to bleed to death. But before I could put my resolution in practice, a thousand reasons pressed forward to restrain my trembling hand. What had I done to merit death? Would not the desperate deed confirm the slander of my tyrant's tongue? And could I leave my mother at once oppressed with her own grief and my infamy? Perhaps the love of life pleaded, though silently, even stronger than these motives, and withheld me from my first attempt towards guilt. Yet, oh, forgive me, Edward, that I now lament I did not perpetrate the fatal deed. I might have hoped for pardon of my first crime, but can accumulated sins find mercy? Yet if contrition may avail a wretch, I still will dare to hope. Here, my Louisa, I must again break off my melancholy narrative, as I have been so much broken in upon all day by company that I find it impossible to conclude it by this post. But as the mails to Ireland are sometimes delayed by contrary winds for several days, nay, weeks, as I am told, you may possibly receive the whole story at once. I will not therefore create a further interruption by talking on any other subject, but conclude, as usual, most affectionately yours, F. Cleveland. End of letter 63